Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this weekend we are continuing a series we started a few weeks ago called The Gospel According To. And we've looked at the gospel according to Harry Potter and Harry Styles and uh, Disney. And this week we're looking at the gospel according to the Beatles. Um, and if you're not sure who the Beatles are, you can ask your parents or your grandparents, they'll tell you. Some of you are as confused today talking about the Beatles as some of you were a few weeks ago when we talked about Harry Styles. So that's okay. Uh, just, just know if you are younger that your parents and grandparents feel about the Beatles like you do about Harry Styles, probably. So um, this is neither an endorsement or a condemnation of the Beatles. I listen to the Beatles, but not all of their music is um, godly at the very least. And in fact, some of it is uh, antithetical to the gospel. And we're gonna walk through a little bit of that today. Uh, But let me just jump right in. The Beatles released a song in 1967. It was later released on their Magical Mystery Tour album. It was called All You Need Is Love. And if you've never heard the song, um, it it basically became an anthem for a generation. Um, This came out in 67 at kind of the height of the the peace movement. Um, I don't know if hippie is a derogatory term, my dad used to use it as a derogatory term. Like he would say, son, when you get in your haircut, you look like a hippie. And he wasn't saying, you look so nice. You look like a hippie, right? Uh, it was derogatory. So I don't know if that's derogatory for you or not. But hippies around the world embraced this song as their anthem because it sent this idea that really, if we would just love each other well, it would solve a lot of our problems. And there is a lot of truth to that. Um, don't, you, don't you think our world could use a healthy dose of some love. Um, There's a whole bunch of people all over the world that were like, I wish people would be more loving right now. Uh, And it's true, but here's the thing. The the best lies are often laced with the truth. Um, The the best lies have elements of truth in them. And then I would say, this is one of those things. Love is a very good thing. It's an important thing. Maybe the most important thing. Um, this song highlights it. It talks about love over and over and over. If you just do a count, it says the word love 67 times in this song. It, it says love is all you need 39 times. I counted. <laughs> and the song incessantly reminds us love is all you need, especially the second half of the song. It's like they're trying to hypnotize you. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. Love is all you need until finally you're like, love is all I need. (laughs) It keeps reminding of this over and over and over. Love is all you need. And the gospel, according to the Beatles, says love is all you need. All you really need is love. (laughs) And there's some truth there, but it's insufficient. It's incomplete. Because it's not just love that we need. The gospel says, all you need is God's love. You need God's love. Love is great, but love is not what you really need. You need God's love. Because this is what I know. I'm incapable of loving the way I need to love. Because I'm selfish. Now you might be like, well, Mal, I can't believe you'd say that. 
You are too. <laughs> we, we all are. We are humans. So because of that, I am born with an, in an ability to love others selflessly the way that God wants us to love people. I can't do it. No matter how hard I try, my best efforts still fall short. So what I have to have is I have to have the love of God flowing through me. And if, if I wanna love others well, I've gotta recognize the love of God. So let me show you what the word of God says about the love of God. Romans chapter eight, Paul's talking to the Roman church and he says this, can anything separate us from Christ's love? And the answer is no, it's a rhetorical question. But can anything separate us from Christ's love? No, nothing can. And then he says this, and I love the way it's, it's translated in the New Living Translation because other translations will say, can this or this or this or this or this separate us from God's love? And the answer is no. But listen to the way it's written here. It says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And again, the answer is no. And if anybody could ask this question, it was Paul, because Paul, for the cause of Christ, had been shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and imprisoned. He had suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. And if anyone could say, in the midst of suffering, does God really love me? It was Paul. And in spite of that, he said, no, no, no. My circumstances aren't evidence of God's love. And that's part of the problem for us as Western believers. We look at our circumstances and we go, oh, God must love me because I got a bonus at work. And if that is true, then God must be unhappy with you. He must have fallen out of love with you when you lose your job. So there is not necessarily an equivalent with I'm blessed, so God must love me because the opposite would be true too. So what Paul is saying is, don't judge the love of God by your circumstances, because you might be going through a valley in your life, and it does not mean God does not love you. So he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He goes on to say in verse 36, as scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. I wanna see the person that gets that tattooed on their forearm right? We get all kinds of other verses tattooed or on pillows or, right, little doilies, bumper stickers. I want to see this on a bumper sticker. It's not happening, right? Because we don't like this part of scripture. It goes on to say, no, despite all these things, despite the persecution, the hunger, the destitution, the danger, the threats, despite all that stuff, over, we are overwhelmingly victory, uh, I'm sorry, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. In spite of that stuff, we are still victorious through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, and I'm convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, and this is important, because if you've ever lost a loved one, you know, you know how powerful the power of death feels. As, as you get older, death feels more foreboding, like, okay, it's coming for all of us at some point. It feels inevitable. Death is a powerful force in our world. But it says here, neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. And we don't have to deal with that because none of us worry about tomorrow. It's people in other places, they worry about tomorrow, not us. 
Not even all the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Not even the powers of hell can separate you from the love of God for you. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. If this list wasn't exhaustive for you enough, there's nothing that would make God say, I can't love you. That's how much God loves you. Think about the people in your life. Aren't there things most of them could do to make you go, nope, nope, that's it. I thought I loved you, but I don't love you. There's nothing you could do to make God go, nope, I don't love you. That's how much God loves you. And when we understand the, the, the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love for us, when we see what it can do in us and through us, it should change us. It should, should transform us. And that's what we have to have in order to love others. Because the Beatles said, all you need is love. And that is, that's inaccurate. All you need is God's love. You need God's love to love your spouse the way your spouse needs to be loved. To be the mom or the dad that you need to be, you need God's love. Because you can't love your kids the way they need to be loved without the love of God. <laughs> if you don't think you need the love of God to love people, you've never been to Walmart before. <laughs> right? Like, whoa, oh, 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 what are you wearing? <laughs> we have to be empowered by the Spirit to love people well. John talks about this in John, in 1 John chapter four. He says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God is love is another phrase that was hijacked by the hippies. God is love. And this is true, but it's incomplete. Remember, we talked about this in our series in January, Holier Than Thou. That God is love, but his love is derived from his primary characteristic, which is his holiness. Because he is holy, he can love. Our love is flawed and it is um, it's impure because we're not holy. God's love is holy because he is pure. He is holy, right? So God is love. That's true. God is love. But look at what it says right before that. It says anyone who does not love does not know God. We are only capable of loving when we know God, when we know who he is, when we know his love, when we accept it and we value it. That's when we, that's when we can love others. See, part of the problem is this. Part of the problem is we don't, we don't recognize what a gift it is to be loved by God. Um, maybe you did this at some point um, Maybe you saw a movie where this happened, but there's somebody who professes, maybe a young lady professes her undying love for a young man, and she says, I love you. And the boy goes, thank you. It's like, that's the wrong answer, right? That is not what she's looking for. She's looking for, like, you take off the glasses, and I love you, right? 
and you embrace, and because you're married, you can do that. You can kiss. <laughs> That's what they're after, a response, right? And here's the deal. We don't respond to God with an I love you sometimes because we don't recognize how valuable the love of God really is. How powerful, how impactful. And because of that, God says, I love you. And we go, thank you. That's what makes it so easy for us to not be engaged in godly community. Oh, man. It's what makes it so easy to leave a church if we just don't like what the preacher says. Well, fine. Fine, I'll go. It makes it so easy for us to gossip and criticize others. Why? Because we're incapable of love because we don't recognize the love of God. Does that make sense to anybody? Because we've gone, well, thank you, God, for your love. I received that. But God doesn't want us just to receive his love. He wants us to be conduits of his love. He wants us to, to redistribute his love to the people around us. He goes on to say this in verse 9, 1 John 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And listen to this next part. And his love is brought to full expression in us. This is what it's saying. We've never seen God, but the closest we will get is when we love each other really well. God's love is brought to full expression in us. So when I love somebody else with the love of God, they can get a, a glimpse, just a moment where they see God in that. That's as close as we will get on planet earth to seeing God, unless God just reveals himself to you powerfully. There are people in your life that need to see God, but you're too busy holding a grudge. You're too busy being angry. You're too busy with whatever drama or mess you've experienced in your life, and they need God, but you're too busy to show them God. Because you've received the love of God. Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. But you just said, thank you, thank you. And what we need to do is go, no, no, God. Show me who you are. Show me your love. Transform me, change me. Because there's people in my world that need to see you, not me. See, the gospel according to the Beatles says all you need is love, but the gospel says all you need is God's love. In 1966, there's a song that was released on their Revolver album, <clears throat> um, and it used to be one of my favorites, um, but the words, when you read the words, they're depressing. It's called Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> some of you, you could hear a little bit of a groan in the room. Ugh. Let me read some of the lyrics to you. It starts with this line. Look at all the lonely people. Look at all the lonely people. This sets the theme for the song, by the way. Two characters in the song, Eleanor Rigby and Father McKenzie. It begins with this. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father McKenzie 
writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> no one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? And it goes back into the refrain again, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? Eleanor Rigby died in a church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave, no one was saved. That's dark. We've got a woman who is alone. Um, she wants badly to be accepted and loved, and there's a, an implication of that because it refers to her makeup, the show she puts on in the world to gain acceptance or love or relationship, but in spite of her best efforts, she's still alone. Not only is she alone, she dies alone, and she's forgotten. And you got Father McKenzie, who is a priest, He's doing his best, he's serving God, but he's isolated for a number of reasons. He's alone. He's doing his best, but his work seems fruitless. And at the end of the day, he does this funeral and nobody shows up and it says no one was saved. What do these people have in common? Well, they have the church in common and if you've never paid attention to this before, she was cleaning the church after a funeral. I mean, after a wedding. So after, Freudian, it's almost the same, right? I'm just joking, I'm joking. Marriage is a gift. So she's cleaning the church after a wedding. So the implication is she either works at the church or she's a high level volunteer in the church. So she's connected to the church as is the priest. They have the church in common. What else do they have in common? Abject loneliness. They're alone. And again, the implication is they're alone and they're gonna die alone. And not only are they gonna be alone, they're gonna be forgotten. Do you understand now why maybe this isn't my favorite Beatles song anymore? It's dark. It's depressing. And the gospel according to the Beatles says, we are all alone. No matter who you are, you're alone. You can do your best, you can make your best efforts, but it doesn't matter because you're alone. And that's hopeless. But the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel actually says we are never alone. In the book of Joshua, um, Moses, kind of the patriarch of um, of Israel, he had led them out of captivity in Egypt. He had led them through the wilderness for 40 years. The nation was about to enter the promised land and the end of his life was near. And so he died and he handed the leadership baton to Joshua. And Joshua was gonna lead the nation into this new season. They were turning a page and, and he was nervous. He's leading millions of people, someplace he's never been before. He has no idea what he's doing and he's, he's nervous about it. And God gives him a pep talk in Joshua chapter one. I love it. And, and listen to what he says. I can't read the whole thing, but you can go back and read it when you get some time. Joshua chapter one, verse nine says this. God's speaking to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. He says, 
Be strong and courageous. And the reason you can be strong and courageous is because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is what he's trying to help him with. I am with you so you don't need to be afraid. I'm with you so you don't worry, need to worry about strength. I'm with you. You got this. Sometimes we just need somebody to be with us when we're doing something we're afraid to do, right? When I was a, a, a boy, a young boy, um, we would go to see my grandparents. They lived, my mom's parents lived in the St. Louis area and they lived in the country in the middle of nowhere. Um, and they had, they had problematic plumbing. And so we would go to the outhouse to use the bathroom. I'm sure there's not a lot of people in this room that's probably ever used an outhouse before, um, but I had to use the outhouse and it was away from the house as you would imagine. And it was country and there were like mountain lions in the area, things like that. And I was a little nervous to go to the outhouse by myself. And so I would beg my sister to go to the outhouse with me. She's like, I'm gonna stand outside the outhouse while you're doing your business. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do, yes. Because I didn't want to walk to the outhouse by myself. Come on now, I might get eaten by a mountain lion on my way out to the bathroom, right? I was nervous, but she went with me. I felt good about it. Like, we're fine. She's way bigger than I am. It'll eat her first. So I'll be able to get away. There's a lot more meat on her bones. I'm, I'm safe, right? But we need people with us to do things we're, we're afraid to do, we're scared to do. And this is what God says. You don't have to be afraid. I am with you. I am present. Let me read this to you in the message version. Joshua chapter one, verse nine from the message. God says this, haven't I commanded you? Strength and courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, and he has to identify. God, your God, me, right? Is with you every step you take. But I love this because it's almost like an impartation. It's almost, it's almost as if he's saying, haven't I commanded you? Like I've told you to go, but you don't feel like you've got strength. And then, this exclamatory statement, strength, strength. He's imparting it to him. Strength, you don't feel like you got strength? Strength, you've got it because I'm with you. you. Wait, you feel like you lack courage? Courage, I'm imparting it to you. I'm giving it to you because I'm with you. If you don't have it on your own, don't worry. I'm with you because I'm with you. You've got courage, you've got strength. You've got everything you need because I'm with you. God is with us. We're never, ever alone in our darkest days, in our deepest valleys. There's never anything we go through as children of God that God is not with us on. There are times that we go through things. We're like, God, are you really there? Are you really with me? Listen to this passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 30, 21. The nation of Israel was in captivity and they were asking this question. God, are you really with me? Are you really here? Do you really see us? Listen to what God says. In the NIV, it says this, whether you turn to your right or to your left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Do you know what it doesn't say? Hey, you're gonna see me leading the way. Wouldn't that be better? Don't we want God to lead us? God, you go before us, and when we see it safe, then we'll follow you. And I think God leads us that way sometimes, but sometimes God says, will you trust me enough? You go before me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with you, but you're not gonna see me. Will you trust me enough to take steps I tell you to take without seeing me go first? Will you trust me enough to go 
and just hear my voice? Because this is the thing. If you can hear his voice, that means he's in proximity. It means he's close if he's speaking to you. So you never have to wonder, God, are you near? You're going to keep hearing his voice. No, no, no. You're getting off the path. Let's correct. No, no, don't turn there. We're going here. What does he say? This is the way. This is the way. You're doing great. That's the voice of our father. He's with us. He's encouraging us. He, he's telling us, you're on the right path. You might not see me, but I'm with you. I'm near you. Because like I said, the gospel says we are never alone. And you might feel alone today, but you're not. If you can still hear his voice, you're not alone. 1968, the, the Beatles wrote a song called Helter Skelter. Actually, I think Paul wrote it primarily. I think uh, John might have gotten writing credit as well. But it was released on their White Album. And this is a song I didn't really understand, but I always kind of liked. The lyrics just didn't make sense to me. It says, when I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide where I stop and I turn and I go for a ride till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Do you, don't, me, don't you want me to love you? I'm coming down fast, but I'm miles above you. Tell me, tell me, tell me your answer. Well, you may be a lover, but you ain't no dancer. Which I don't know, just not very nice for them to say. Like, you're not a very good dancer? Well, come on, you can say it nicer than that, probably. But it doesn't make sense. It's like, okay, it's some sort of slide, and it's a metaphor, and I'm trying to envision what he's really talking about. Can I show you what he's talking about? This is what he's talking about. They're called Helter Skelters. They are rides in Britain at carnivals and in play areas and kids go up the tower and then they ride down to the bottom on a slide. They go to the top, they get to the bottom, then they see you again and they go back up to the top. He's talking about a kid's ride is what he's talking about, but this is a metaphor. He's saying, this is love. Love is confusing and disorderly and chaotic. And, and this is a picture of our lives as well. See, the gospel according to the Beatles says, life is chaos. And some of you are like, yeah, I get that. My life feels chaotic, but I, wanna, I want you to hear this. The gospel says life is chaos without God. Some of you are like, well, hold up. My life feels chaotic. Does that mean I don't have God in my life? I'm glad, glad you asked. Let me read this passage to you. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's the way it reads in the ESV and the King James. Um, this is what it means. It means if we trust God and we say, God, I want your will before I want my will. God, I want my will to line up with your will. He's going to make your path straight when we submit our hearts to God. He's going to bring order to our chaos when we trust God. When we say, God, I want your path instead of my path, God says, great, and he's gonna direct us. He's gonna order us. It says in Psalm chapter 37, verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. When we are godly, when we submit our hearts to the Lord, we say, God, I am yours, he will direct our path. That is order. Our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And you go, well, Mel, why do I feel like I do? Because I feel like my world is chaos, but I know I love Jesus. So a few weeks ago, Kim and I were driving over to Greensburg and we were going the, uh, the back way. And so lots of hills and winding roads and 
We were driving and Kim said, babe, I'm glad Steph is not riding with us because you would, you would be making her sick right now. I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, you're, you're just a very aggressive driver. <laughs> and some people will be offended by that. But I was like, I am a very aggressive driver. You know what she was saying? You could be a stunt car driver. That's how good you are. Mel, you could drive IndyCar, NASCAR. You could drive that. That's what she was saying, basically, essentially. And she's right. I could. And I know my wife gets a little nervous with my driving sometimes. I know she does. And she does a good job. She doesn't criticize my driving or like, what are you doing? Like she doesn't nag me or anything like that. We've got a good relationship, okay? But can I be honest with you? Sometimes when I'm riding and she's driving, I get a little nervous too. There's been a couple times just... I've looked at maybe the opportunity to buy one of those driver's ed vehicles with a brake on the passenger side. It's like, it wouldn't be a bad investment. Like, come on, we could use that once in a while. You could use it too. It's good for both of us. Because I get a little nervous when Kim's driving because I see like, oh, we're getting a little close and look, and I never say anything. I'm on the outside. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, we love you. And on the inside, I'm like, ah, You know what I'm talking about? But this is the thing. I've never been driving and I'm like, oh no, oh no, never. I don't get nervous when I'm driving. Why? Because I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. When I'm in the passenger seat and Kim's in control, that's when I get nervous. Because I'm like, does she know what she's doing? And she does the same thing. Does he know what he's doing? Does he see that car stopped? Does he see? Yes, the answer is yes. Usually, usually. <laughs> See, my, my level of comfort in, in the vehicle is directly related to the seat I'm sitting in in the vehicle. So when I'm in control, pff, I'm good. I got this. When Kim's in control and I've got to trust her, I get a little nervous. See, your world might seem chaotic, But if God is in the driver's seat, it's not at all. It just seems like it is because you're not in control. See, it feels more comfortable. We're in the driver's seat. We're like, no, no, God, I got this. I'm in control. God, I'm doing just fine. But do you know what happens? You're determining your path at that point. And God says, no, 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 no. For, For those who trust me, I will direct their path. For those who trust me, I will make their path straight. We're too busy being in control. We want, we want, the illusion that everything's okay because we think it's better that way. But no, no, no. Give me the perceived chaos and the peace that comes with letting God direct and guide our lives. Todd sang Imagine a few minutes ago, and I won't read the lyrics to you. It's not actually a Beatles song. It's a John Lennon song. And I don't know if you caught this, but he talks about a world free of religion free of hell, free of heaven, free of countries, free of personal property and possessions. Does that sound vaguely familiar to any kind of political ideology to you? And before you call me um, like some sort of name for calling him out, 
Let me just read, this is an actual quote that John Lennon gave when he was asked about the song. He described the song Imagine, his song, as, quote, virtually the communist manifesto, even though I'm not particularly a communist and I do not belong to any movement, but because it is sugar-coated, it is accepted. John Lennon said, I took the communist manifesto and I made it, I made it palatable for people and they love it. It was funny, we were sitting on the front row and Emma said, do you hear people singing no religion too in our church? And I was like, yeah, I hear people singing that. Like the irony of that, right? Because that was his dream. And he said, come on, let's all have the same dream. No religion, no heaven, no hell, no, no countries. Can't we all just get along? And this is, this is empty and it's hollow. If all there is is this life, what a horrible life. This really is. If all we have to look forward to is this, this humanist existence where I'm just supposed to make myself happy and, and find pleasure in this life and, and then someday I'm gonna stop breathing in and out and that's it and then I'm warm food. How depressing is this life? See, throughout his life, John Lennon talked a lot about self-transformation being a powerful tool that we had. And really it's all we have. And so that's why they talk so much about love and so much about uh, peace is because they were doing their best to transform themselves into their best version of themselves. And there's something, there's something um, to applaud in that. But again, the greatest lies are our partial truths. And it's insufficient because we can't transform ourselves. I can't make myself a better person. Uh, I can change some habits and routines for a while, but the only thing that can transform me is not me, it's God. And if I take God out of the equation, all we're doing is just, we're just becoming moral humanists. We're gonna be really nice people who live our lives and then we die and that's it. See, the gospel according to the Beatles says there is no good news. Oh yeah, you can live your life. You can have fun while you're here. You can love people while you're here. But at the end, that's the end. No good news. The gospel says Jesus is good news. Jesus was in Nazareth. He went to the, uh, the temple to worship and to, to read the word. And they were taking turns reading the word. And... This is what it says in Luke chapter four, verse 17. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, to Jesus. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then the scripture says, he rolled the scroll back up, handed it to him, and he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. Today, this has been fulfilled. And they got mad. They wanted to kill him. They were upset. But Jesus says, this is what I'm about. This is what I came to do. And this is good news. He, he said, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And you go, well, Mel, that's not me. I got money in the bank account. That's great. But did you know, I've known a lot of people that had money, but they were poor. They were poor relationally. They were poor spiritually. They had, they had lots of deficit in their life, but they had money. That was not a deficit for them. See, Jesus came 
to bring good news, the gospel, to the poor. If there's a deficit in any area of your life, Jesus came to bring you good news. He is the good news. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that people that are in bondage will be released. No matter what you may be in bondage to, Jesus is the answer. He is the key to your freedom. And that's good news. That the blind will see. If you could not see and there was a procedure that you found out about that could restore your sight, wouldn't you tell everybody in your family, hey, I'm getting this surgery done and I'm gonna be able to see again. That would qualify as good news. The oppressed will be set free. And he says, and that the, the time of the Lord's favor has come. And I want you to hear this. I believe that the time of the Lord's favor has come for many people. That maybe you felt a little bit like you were all alone, like life was chaotic, like things were a mess, and maybe you just have bad luck. Maybe it's just not your time. And I'm telling you, the time of the Lord's favor has come. The, the miracle you need is found in Jesus Christ. He is good news. Sounds oversimplistic, but God loves you so much more than you understand, so much more than I understand. But if you can get a glimpse of it, it'll change everything. God wants to, God wants to lead you well. Will you trust him? He's, he's not gonna let you end up in a ditch if you'll trust him. Jesus is the answer. Sounds like something preachers say, but Jesus is the answer. Will you trust him? I'm gonna turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time, give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. God bless you. If you would, all of this place, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're gonna to pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. God, why do you love us? Why do you love us like you do? Why do you care about people that are so flawed and so broken, so messed up? God, I don't understand, but you do. Thank you for Jesus. He is the good news. He is the one who changes everything. He is the one who, who set captives free and brings sight to the blind. He is the one who makes up the difference in deficits in our lives. So God, I pray that you would help us see that. Help us respond to that. I pray that God, as we receive your love, change us, transform us into your image. So God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Lord, I pray for those that have never surrendered their lives. Let today be the day. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed, and your eyes closed, if you'd say, Mel, um, I know I'm not really serving God, but I want to. Maybe you're religious. And maybe in your religiousness, you've been living your life and you look like you're serving God, but the truth is, you know, you're still in control. You're still the one running the show. You're still the one calling all the shots. And you say, today, I wanna to surrender my life to his lordship. I wanna surrender my life to his kingship. I wanna put him in the driver's seat. I wanna know he's near because I wanna hear his voice. And if you're here today and you say, um, I know I'm not really walking with the Lord, but I want to be. 
Would you just respond by slipping your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. I see you on my left. Thank you in the center section. Thank you. Who else would join these? Yeah, I see you over there. Praise God. Say, Mel, pray for me. I want to be included in this prayer. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to, I want to know the love of God today. Yeah, thanks on my right. Praise the Lord. The book of Romans tells if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud, whether you raise your hand or not. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways and my old life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Listen, thank you for making the decision you made today. For those of you that prayed that prayer and you meant it, we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And this is where I was talking about earlier. We want to help you. We want to help you begin to grow in your faith. So you can either text the word Summit PA to 94,000 or you can take the card out of the seat back in front of you and take it to our info center. They're gonna help you take the next step, but help us help you in this process. So thank you for worshiping with us. Pastor Todd's gonna to lead us one final song. While we're singing this song, our prayer team's here. They're gonna be available at the front of the room. And if you need prayer for any reason, I would encourage you, make sure you make your way forward, find one of them, let them pray with you before you go today. And then in just a moment, Pastor Todd will dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.